0: the Tuesday Night Titans. Indeed, this is a most unusual treatment of the World Wrestling Federation.
1: Tag team back again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural podcast the Tag Team Wrestling Podcast, where we'll be covering WWE Network material, and right now we're focusing on WWF Tuesday Night Titans from May 29th, 1984. Plan on riding this series out until we can't know more. What's on the network is pretty much 43 episodes, give or take, and we'll be going through those first. I'm your host, John Burke, and your other host is... Jeff Jones. A little bit of background about ourselves, why we decided to do this. I originally got into wrestling when I watched Hogan. Hogan versus Andre the Giant. It was a main event Friday night, February 5th, 1988. I was watching a VHS tape that my dad taped for, for me to watch. Got hooked on it. The match was Hogan versus Andre for the title. Andre wins Sure, Andre wins the title and only takes about a couple of seconds before he hands it over to Million Dollar Man, making him the champion. But hold up, there was a catch. They had a dusty finish and that was Hogan kicked out at two, but the ref didn't see it. We uh, later find out in the later of the match that Dave Heppner, the scheduled referee, was not actually the referee that did the count. I'm guessing, due to my age at the time, I don't recall exactly, that they've never acknowledged that Dave and Earl were twins. So Dave Heppner was supposed to be the referee, and out comes Earl Heppner, and it shocks Hogan, and they go into a big ol' hissy fit over it, and it ends up that they have WrestleMania 4, where the title's on the line through a tournament, so this is pretty much the setup for WrestleMania 4. That was my first regulation of watching wrestling and kind of getting hooked. Later on, I'd go back and watch WrestleMania 3 and 2 and 1 and try to get caught up on the the pay-per-view side, at least, since there wasn't that much up to that point. What about you, Jeff? What got you hooked to the uh, squared circle? It was seeing four men in the electrified Thunderdome.
2: It was Ric Flair and Sting versus the great Muda and Terry Funk. Now, I didn't know too much of Terry Funk, as I do now, as he is the hardcore legend. I knew Ric Flair (laughs) and face paint and the stinger splash and what really intrigued me more out of all four was the great mood his presence uh, his face paint the mist that he had the ultimate and the match was in the like I say the electrified thunderdome this is no disqualifications there's no time limits and it's about time there was no time limits because that
1: was a big factor for those matches back then so it was a big win yeah, for it me comes up in this episode where they have a time limit draw for one of the matches so that will definitely will come into play for this podcast and I've to say they need to do a more electrified Thunderdome matches for sure
2: especially one like this no qualification there's no time limits the only way to win is if somebody throws a towel in and at this time it was Gary Hart and Ole Anderson the only way the match
1: would stop if they threw the towel in then they couldn't take no more do you think they would it would actually call it the Thunderdome nowadays with all this copyright stuff. it would probably have to rename it something else. it would be like, nah, that's Mad Max. Yeah, you can't have that name yeah,
2: yeah, it'd be something, uh, Electrified Elimination cage. Chamber Match. Uh, I'd watch yeah. that next February. I wouldn't mind Then John Cena, Electrified. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I digress. I do remember it because there was a fire at the very start of the match before they got in. They, they got the cage set, they got the electricity flowing, and it's not the voltage, it's wattage, remember kids? And and sure enough, there was a fire right above Muda. And I remember seeing Tay Chan with the fire extinguisher running around the ring to attempt to put the fire out. And the great Muda, the spider monkey he is, just climbed up like it was nothing to the ring and used his mist to put out the fire. The little evil to help a little good because I think he was saving it for Ric Flair's sting,
1: but instead the fire got it. Um, WCW main <laughs> event that does not go off as planned. <laughs> that right. never happened.
2: That was, uh, actually it was the NWA. It was 89. And, and after that, I was hooked, definitely. And then 1990, Thanksgiving, there was a pay-per-view on Thanksgiving, which was kind of odd. Good old days. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching Survivor Series, 1990, and there was a big egg that kept rocking back and forth of little crack. And I didn't know what was in there. Nobody else knew what was in there. Mean Gene sure as hell didn't know what was in there, as much as excited as he got talking about it, obviously. <laughs> finally, toward the end of the segment, something finally popped out of the egg. Hector Guerrero. <laughs>
1: in a turkey outfit. <laughs> I think that was... Was Hector's only stint in the WWF too. I don't <laughs> think he ever wrestled under under anything else.
2: Hell, if I had to wrestle that, that egg, I would too. That'd be it for me. <laughs> Gobbledygooker.
1: I was what, that was it. What the WWF would like for you mm. to remember that pay per view for is the debut of the Undertaker. Yes, mean Mark. I mean, uh, Undertaker.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. I have to say that I was an avid pay-per-view watcher thanks to my dad's illegal, well, descrambler of free signal that was sent down from the heavens.
1: Yes, I can relate. Stepdad was uh, the same party. We had cable instead of satellite, but we also owned a descrambler, and the first pay-per-view I ever watched from start to finish was WrestleMania 6 with Hulk Hogan versus The Ultimate Warrior in the Sky Dome, title for title. Mm, that was, I think, the only time that one person held both titles back then until they had a little tournament later on to get rid of the Intercontinental title.
2: Was that one of the Ultimate Warrior's mini-marathon runs of the ring? That was one of his super
1: high-energy blown up after the first five seconds because of his long runs to the ring. Yep. <laughs> By the end of the match, he might as well not have been wearing face paint because none covered his face. They didn't have the wellness policy back then, though, did they? I think wellness just means, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. And that was about it. That was the policy. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you out there, get ready to run. <laughs> (laughs) Exactly. Now would probably be a good time to introduce the third member that we have on our podcast here
0: hello listeners I am Lord Bosley from the other side of the pond I will be your historian knowledge resource and game show host for the podcast I started observing wrestling when these gaffers villain told me to now I feel spawny to be a part of this podcast cheers
1: best thing about Bosley is he's pretty cheap you don't have to pay him that much as an intern for the show we appreciate his
2: cooperation with
1: us and that he can bring
2: a lot of knowledge to the podcast for not a lot of
1: money he's a great deal if he acts so line, we might have their applicants try to fill in his place if we ever need to get rid of him because he starts asking for money. Keep those resumes ready. Tuesday night Titan history, pretty much It aired on, like we said, May 29th, 1984. Vince's dad, Vince J. McMahon, passed away at 69 in North Miami on May 27th of this year after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. Pretty sure that this was probably taped in April, March, or maybe even before then, so I don't think they went to air two days after his dad passed away. The summary for the show, the format basically for the show, is a WWF-produced talk show. It was patterned off The Tonight Show. Don't think the current day or even previous think way back when starring johnny carson they had lord alfred hayes on there for the ed mcmahon part of the johnny carson type talk show the program featured wrestlers kayfabe or in character but they weren't breaking any fourth walls down or anything like that but see the guys entered the ring you just automatically cut the guys have been wrestling for a while and you get the last three four minutes of the match until the bell rang the show was taped in video one facilities in Owings mill maryland shout out to owens mills worked there for two years. Owens Mills, not video one. I'm sure it was long gone by the time I got there in 2003. It ran from May 29th, 1984 to September 24th, 1986. It was airing on the USA Network. There was a total of 93 episodes for the show. What's currently on your WWE Network right now is May 29th through August 2nd, 1985. About 43 episodes. These were originally put up there when the network first aired, so we're not sure if they're gonna to add any more to it but seeing how that was two years ago it's not looking good that they probably will but there is stuff out there on youtube so we'll go ahead start doing those if we get past august 2nd and nothing's out there the missing one is episode 31 from april 26 1985 and that also is out there on youtube which you can go to our facebook facebook.com forward slash
2: the tag team podcast and i think mr bosley can do a little work and put some links out there for you listeners and you guys can enjoy and sit back and whenever we put the podcast out for it you can review with us give us your opinions
1: submit a comment and let us know what you think about it we'll also try to put out jeff's first match the thunderdome and i'll put out my first match uh, hulk hogan versus andre the giant out there the youtube links out to there if anyone cares to watch them critique them i wasn't in the match personally i was i was the
2: fourth hefner so be sure to critique the fourth hefner <laughs>
1: What do you remember about May 1984, as far as the timeline? Well, set the scene for us, if you will.
2: 1984, in May. The Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was released on May 23rd of 1984. Little Harrison Ford in the whip. I love it. President Ronald Reagan. He was current president.
1: Reaganomics.
2: Reaganomics. Average household income was right around 21,599.
1: More than I make now.
2: And gas was $1.10 a dollar ten a gallon. Probably the lowest it'll probably ever be. We'll never see that. again. Also, a little pro wrestling history. In 1984, Hulk Hogan won his first ever WWF heavyweight championship against the Iron Sheik. And that, my friend, started the Hulkamania era. Take your vitamins, say your prayers, brother. He was actually a fill-in for Bob Backlund. He was a last-minute replacement. He was supposed to originally fight the Iron Sheik, but Hogan became the first man to ever escape the Sheik finishing move, Camel Clutch. Also, Rusev's move. Copycatter. You think he went to Iran to learn that? You know, I think he may have... Over in Iran is Bulgaria, pretty close, uh, I think so. I'm not sure if the Sheik can fly right now.
1: Anyway, back then they didn't have just one or two companies and a bunch of independents. They had territories. For territories, we're going to try to cover about two a podcast. And with this first podcast, we're going to focus on St. Louis and Minnesota.
0: Let's uh, talk some territories. Let's talk May 1984 timeline with territories. Territory wrestling territories. And for you youngsters out there, <laughs> wrestling territories is something that may be foreign to you. But at one time in the United States alone, there were 25 or 30 wrestling territories that were headquartered around the country, starting in Portland and Seattle, down to San Francisco and Los Angeles, starting back east in, in Arizona, coming into Oklahoma. Texas had four territories. And these territories would run their weekly towns and have a, their own television program in their market. So if you were in Dallas, you only saw at that point in time the Dallas television. It was before the days of cable TV and the national overlay. The Lay of the Territories May 1984. The St. Louis Territory The biggest war on territory right now is over St. Louis where Vince McMahon alternates shows with promoters Bob Geiguel from NWA Central States Promotion and Vern Gonia From American Wrestling Association, the duo from both sides are pulling out all the stops and typically selling out every week. One week you will get Ric Flair vs. Bruiser Brody. The next week Hulk Hogan vs. Big John Studd. The WWF product at this time was pretty crappy. The wild card in the whole thing is promoter, Fritz Von Erich world-class championship wrestling, because his WCCW show is the most popular in the city and both sides are trying to work with him and bring in his sons the Von Erichs. The other wildcard is former two-time NWA President Sam Muchnick and former promoter of the St. Louis Wrestling Club, who had retired in 1982 and the St. Louis Wrestling Club was then purchased by Bob Geigiel and others. Guy Gill also owned Central States Wrestling. Guy Gill found himself in competition with Muchnick's former announcer and general manager Larry Mattisick, who felt that Guy Gill and Harley Race's booking strategy did not fit the town, and ran an opposing promotion. The former announcer-slash-general manager and KPLR director would both ink deals with Vince McMahon a year prior in 1983, giving the WWF a foothold in the St. Louis area. Muchnick, who apparently sees what a bad job that Guy Gill is doing with the territory and now wants to return. This would put Vince at an advantage because Muchnick's protégé, Larry Madisik, is a Vince team member. Thank you, Lord Bosley,
2: for that. Yes, thank you, thank you. Next territory we want to cover is Minnesota, where Vince can't get on TV if he paid his way in. The AWA was so strong, but that eventually would change, but not in May of 84. Some of the AWA's other top talent, including announcer Mean Gene Okerlund, David Schultz, jumped to the WWF, as the AWA would require talent to place a six-week notice upon leaving the company for booking and syndication-based reasons. Most of the talent reported told Ganya that McMahon offered them more money not to work out their notices and previously scheduled date appearances. But McMahon disputes that even today
1: yeah there is a few awa talent on this first episode of tuesday night titans you got david schultz of course mean gene is on here he's calling some matches along with doing an interview adrian adonis is on here for a match and more talent to follow but yeah right now those are at least three of the ones that came over from the awa during this episode some of the media dirt that was happening around this time was also centered around awa a Newspaper article came out about the rest of ken patera and Mr. Saito after a drug-fueled brawl at a McDonald's, which I'm sure all of us can relate to. On the night of April 6, 1984, Kim Patera and Mr. Saido went to a McDonald's in Washaka, Wisconsin, and were denied service by the McDonald's employees. Kim became incensed and hurled a 30 pound rock through the window of the fast food establishment. Mm. Patera and Saido then returned to their hotel the next door. Typical after you throw rocks through McDonald's, you just yeah. want to go home. And two police officers. Officers arrived at the hotel to question the wrestlers. Patera and Sahito resisted arrest. Doesn't sound like the wrestlers I know that are on drugs. And attacked the police officers, one of whom was a 19 year old female. That's probably what done them, man. If it was two guys, maybe they wouldn't have got charged as much.
2: You know, I think it's the boulder that really set off this change of events, unfortunately. Come on.
1: Come on. I'm on McDonald's, that's just Tuesday.
2: I, I your, you know, it is da, da, da,
1: da, da You know, I don't understand. The female police officer received several broken teeth and a ruptured appendix while her male counterpart suffered a broken leg. Petra and Saido were working stiff. <laughs> they eventually, subdued by the police officers, were taken to jail. With all the bad press this incident received, it was time for Tara and Saido to leave the AWA. So that was basically their last stench there. Ken and Jerry Bagwell were AWA champions at the time. They dropped the titles to the Crusher and Von Von Roski on May 6, 1984. And Prochera left the AWA for the aforementioned WWF soon afterwards because Vince will take anybody. Several months later, around June 1985, Patera and Saito were sent to jail and ended up serving 18 whole months in the slammer for that little incident at McDonald's.
2: Well, I guess they got 18 months for working stiff, not as much as hurling a boulder through the McDonald's window, I guess.
1: I'm sure Vince did appreciate them not going out of character, though, throughout that whole thing.
2: And, you know, I do like the fact that At least they dropped the belts. Unlike somebody we know, we're not going to mention names that refused to
1: drop the belt or they left. I'm sure uh, Vern probably could have just wrote them out saying, and they died. Probably get away with it back then until WWF became more mainstream, at least.
2: Really. Very true. Very true.
1: So, this first episode out there with this territory talk, there's other links out there on our Facebook page that we'll get uh, Lord Bosley to put up for you. There's a good one for Greg Gagne, uh, Vern's son, that shoots on Pro Wrestling USA, The War of 84. His feelings on Vince and Vince's buyout of other people and stations at the time it's an interesting about a 10 minute clip or so there's an interesting program on the WWE Network Legends of Wrestling The Territories that covers basically a wrestler's perspective of what it was like to work in the territories back then and then there's also a link out there it's a great documentary super long though so set aside some time to watch it WCCW Territory it's Heroes of World Class The Story of the Erickson the triumphant and tragedy of world-class championship wrestling I like it better than the one that WWE came out with it did have some down points where they had some interviews that were outside it was windy and you can't hear the wrestlers as good as if they would have done it inside or just dubbed over it later on and put the audio through a studio mic or something of that nature that's the only downside of that one but overall I like that documentary better than the one that came out by the WWE I think a little fresh air You know, never killed nobody. No, it's just kind of annoying when you're trying to hear a guy and just hear and all that stuff when you're trying to listen to what he's saying. It may have killed the interview. It never kills my body. Actually, I think it was Gary Hart, so I technically did die. But not from that. So recapping the inaugural episode of Tuesday Night Titans. It did air on the 29th of May, and for some unknown reason, it didn't pick back up to two weeks later. So right off the bat, I thought that was unusual and probably made it hard to get viewers to come back in two weeks, unless maybe they were doing less back in 84. It's hard to say this is our first episode and join us again in two weeks. Yeah, that's an
2: interesting one. It's not even a tease. It's horrible. Like, are they coming back? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, oh,
1: I guess that show sucked. It's not back this Tuesday. I guess I'll turn on Johnny Carson. There you go. <laughs> Something else that I noticed when it first started up, it was only a minute and 30 seconds in mm-hmm. and they go to commercial. Uh, if you were flipping through channels and didn't make it up to USA Network by that minute and 30, you wouldn't really know what you are watching until it came back from commercial. And the theme that I played in the beginning of our podcasts, uh, did a 30-second spiel, and then they went right to commercial. So I thought that was kind of unusual for at least today's television standards. Definitely strange. But it did keep you in suspense, I guess. Yeah, between that, Vince McMahon comparing Lord Alfred Hayes to Amidi Ahmed, which I had to look up because was not discussed in my history class. I later found out he's basically a version of Hitler for uh, Africa, so that was an interesting icebreaker to introduce your co-host, though. So I thought that of amusing fence humor for sure and lord alfred is the least threatening person on the whole uh, stage yeah definitely he's supporting his tuxedo i guess from the late 70s if i had to date it he just kind of looks a little bit out of date even for 84 so jumping right into their format there they introduce themselves and then our count starts would you like to touch on what the count is for this episode what the word of the day is sponsored by this episode
2: Word of the day ladies and gentlemen I concur. Now, if you have some really good liquor in a shot glass and you watch this episode, every time you hear I concur, take a shot. If you are not buzzed by the end of the show, listen to this podcast.
1: When you hear I concur, take a shot. Yeah, the concur count was up to at least five that I counted, and I think most of those came within the first 16 minutes. Like the word for their episode that they just learned before going on air, they couldn't say, I agree. It was always concurred. There was another, I concur with your concurration. There was another Another count that was going on, but we'll get on to that one a little bit later. The first match that they joined in progress was Paul Orndorff. Versus Brian Blair. This was before he was a member of the Killer Bees. He's a little bit more famous for that. And basically, the, the conclusion of the match was ormed off handful of tights, and he gets the three count in typical heel fashion. For commentary, it was Vince McMahon and Mean Gene, which seems to be an ongoing team that did most of these matches. Occasionally, they switched it up, but these house shows that they were filming on was Vince and Mean Gene. One thing I noticed when I was watching the match myself
2: is you don't don't see a lot of the face down arm lock submissions and then having the heel drive the knee into the back of the arm kind of slowing the pace down a little bit. Today's wrestling it seems like it's more really fast paced. I guess because everybody has ADD and can't sit still longer than three seconds. But I like the way how they really told a story with that match. You could tell Orndal didn't like him. And there a lot of his moves, especially the outside of the ring moves, were really savage compared to today's standard. There was a lot of emotion put into the knees, drove into Mr. Blair's head as he, Orndorf knocked him off of the apron.
1: That's because wrestling was real back
2: then. (laughs) Definitely. And I liked at the end, granted, Orndorff did start pulling the tights as the referee was making sure that he had a handful before he slid up to look at the shoulders of Mr. Blair. I do like at the end, once the ring announcer come in the ring and the microphone dropped down, that Blair realized, oh, I lost. And started chasing (laughs) Orndorff around the ring and he got the hell out of the ring pretty quick, which is a little comedic. I did enjoy that personally. You don't see a lot of that, you know, chasing around on the ring, the good guys and the bad guys kind of chasing back and forth. I did like that.
1: Yes, that's definitely a throwback to the air. A lot of stuff back then, they work over one body part or focus in on one area and just a lot of holes and focusing in on the leg or the arm or something of that nature. It's always fun to watch some of the old stuff just to see how the style is different for today's matches that we're showing on TV nowadays.
2: I did enjoy the match overall though. Got to see a different side of uh, Orndorff and I liked it. it was a good match. Well, the five minutes that was there.
1: Yeah, Paul Orndorff kind of. I got his break too. You were talking earlier about Hulk Hogan getting his break by Bob Back and Orndorff kind of got his break too by the guy next on the show and that was David Dr. D as they call him, David Schultz and this isn't the Olympic wrestler from Fox Catcher, this is the wrestler that is famous for 2020 incident that we'll cover later on in a future podcast but this episode, Dr. D was the star of the episode, his interview with Mean Gene and I'll let you <laughs> discuss some of the highlights from that interview and Dr. D will definitely be a future star on this podcast podcast as his interview and other things that they showed on this episode will come into play with a nice soundboard.
2: Oh, most definitely. <laughs> the interview was absolutely hilarious from beginning to end when he talked about his face on Time Magazine. Which I did not tell if it was an actual
1: Time Magazine or not. Like uh, a wrestling <laughs> magazine to me. It like uh, Vince's Wrestling. I think that this time the first WWF magazine came out, but I could be wrong on that. It might have been a Pro Wrestling Illustrated or something, but definitely not a Times or Rolling Stone magazine. Or not.
2: I liked it how he, Mean Gene was trying to hold it for the camera and Dr. D kept pulling away Then eventually gave it to him And told him I'll sign it later for you A very classic clip from that You
0: can have it you can keep it I'll autograph it for you later on
2: I love it oh yeah yes I love his whole sonification I love his character it's it's great you know the Stone Cold I think he's been referred to of that era
1: yeah he's from Tennessee but that accent and just a little if you close your eyes you could kind of picture Stone Cold doing this the same kind of promo probably a little bit better on the mic I would say Schultz isn't bad there's definitely a lot of people worse he wasn't up to par with the next segment that they ran on him he was you could tell it was his first time doing a vignette type deal i have seen
2: some promos and i think i'll link
1: link them to our facebook facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast
2: of interviews and promos that Dr. D would have and Mean Gene would just burst laughing out and they had to pan the camera away from Mean Gene and just focus on Dr. D's face till Mean Gene could pull it together. It was great. Now, One of my other favorites uh, referring back to the interview, I believe it was time to cut Dr. D off. He was going on with his usual, I'll slap my mama.
0: If my mama stood here and talked to me bad, I'd slap her.
2: Exactly. I'll beat my wife. Very, very, very violent. And about that time, I think Mean Gene was trying to give the, hey, it's time to cut the promo. He was in the middle of talking about his ladies, and he got interrupted. What do you want? You keep touching my leg! And I have my own theories on this. I think the beating women segment probably wasn't going as well. (laughs) I think. (laughs) In the talking about it versus maybe on paper, as they thought. me. Mean Gene had to cut that pretty quick. One of the better portions of the episode that I I got a kick out of.
1: Yeah, they started talking about the beatings and probably, uh let's go, come on. Not being a part of the production team, I'm still guessing when Mean Gene touches your leg, it means wrap it up or we're done, but... Apparently, Dr. D. David Schultz did get that message. And just in the middle of the program, middle of the interview, doesn't break character or anything.
0: What do you want? You keep touching my leg! Classic. <laughs>
1: Today, that would be edited out. But back yeah. then, at the time, let's just roll with it on our first episode. It was great. He did an awesome job, staying in character. From there, they go to a David Schultz match, and he's facing Billy Travis. Apparently, Billy Travis wrestled Mid-South and is known for his antics there, and he has some stuff out there on YouTube. I didn't dig into Billy Travis too much. Vince and Mean Gene were on commentary again, and since Billy Travis was not as big of a push as David Schultz. David Schultz gets the win. And the interesting thing about this win was Vince's call of the finisher, as he did. He it a devastating maneuver with a spin in air. And as Jeff pointed out to me, because I didn't catch it the first time, he doesn't really spin. His elbow maybe goes in at 45 degrees, and that's about the spin of the finisher there.
2: I actually had to replay the video to make sure I didn't miss
1: the spin. Did you but blink?
2: I trusted Vince McMahon, you see, on commentary. I thought he was guiding me not even close <laughs> not, not, even, not even spin maybe a 45 degree like you say maybe
1: it's yeah mad. the elbow was at his eye level and he drops it down to his opponent's sternum that's about the only spinning which he has been known to do to crush the sternum
2: and uh, sometimes go up above the neck to the throat the devastating maneuver very insightful
1: commentary there Vince yes <laughs> (laughs) So, after that, we have the mysterious noise. Jeff didn't catch it. I caught it probably on my second watch through of the show. It happens about the 2204 mark. It's just some weird inaudible noise. Vince continues to talk and then kind of smiles as they fade out. Like, I don't know if someone farted or what, but it was definitely on there. I listened to it on the network, and then I listened to it off uh, YouTube. And in 2204, both copies, they had some kind of inaudible noise that just happened while Vince was talking so I thought that was uh, interesting and kind of I don't know hard to catch if you're not listening
2: for it yes, and there ah, they... yeah. I definitely missed that and I'm sorry that I missed it because <laughs> it must have been I see the smirk I just couldn't get the noise he got me on that one I'll have to go back and try to watch
1: it from there they go on to Dr. D his home life got to go to his house and see that he's a great guy outside the ring. Mean, he's just misunderstood so they go to his ranch house whatever you want to call it in Tennessee to see what his home life first thing they show is a cow and it moves and Vince is quick to inform us that that isn't Dr. D they go inside of his house it's basically think of like a cribs type deal except they want to show Dr. D's personality if you will along with a short glimpse of the inside of his house and he made it a point
2: to make sure that everybody knew that he built that house with his own bare hands and no help
1: yeah he he had he
2: don't like nobody
1: (laughs) he had a, a lot of interesting comments about himself I guess he was going for his prestige that he's been all around the world and stayed at many hotels and.
0: I rode the Concord and put in to go on the space
1: shuttle. I'm not sure if he could put in to go on the space shuttle in 1984 as I've never seen any civilians taken up after the teacher incident with the Challenger and I'm pretty sure they didn't do anything prior to that because of the big deal they made with the Challenger before she went up.
0: Are you calling me a
1: liar? So um, I'm going to have to call BS on that. Sorry, Dave. I'm
2: not brave enough to do that. I'm glad you are.
1: (laughs) He gives his promo and it seems like he's trying to remember his talking points and this to me it made him seem like he's never done a vignette before, which, I mean, I couldn't do it either. So I'm not harping on the guy. It's just you could tell it was something new to him. He was talking, talking, talking. Oh, yeah, and then, but back to this. And he would just cut back to a different subject because he remembered, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be saying this or focusing on this and not this so much. So why they didn't edit all that or do a couple of takes, or maybe they did do a couple of takes, and that was the best one. I'm not really sure. But it it was just interesting just to uh, see him kind of, Go from subject to subject and go back and forth on occasions. Looked uh, very scripted, if you would. I was rather
2: impressed with the pizza and chicken that the wife had, you know, spent all that time making that she didn't
1: know that was coming over, apparently. Apparently, when she makes pizza, she just makes two slices. But when she makes chicken, she makes a lot of chicken. Mm-hmm. So, I've never had somebody just make two slices of pizza before. I guess it's possible. Uh, apparently, the kids knew better, though. They've had our pizza and our chicken and they opted for peanut butter sandwiches, which was not on the table.
2: I love the fact that the kids did their best to keep. A straight face during the dinner table incident. I love that they really attempted to make him out to be not what he is while he wrestles. But you know what? He's just tired. That's all it is. He was just tired that day, and he was ready for everybody to go. Definitely. Get your stuff up. Just get out, okay? Just get out. I'm tired of everything.
1: Tired of everything. He's ready to go. That's yep, all it was. He's ready to go. And eventually, instead of being tired, he also got sick and tired. Hmm. Get out! Yeah, y'all get on out of here! What's wrong with you? You crazy! Come out
2: here and try to make a fool out of me! Get, don't ever come back! I'm sick and tired
1: of and That was our ending to David Schultz. But look forward to seeing him in future episodes. He'll definitely be a star. He has that charisma factor, even though I'm not sure if he was going for the one that he gets over on. definitely will be at a soundboard near you, and uh, coming up in future episodes.
2: You know, let's get Bosley
1: to see if he can find the interview
2: where they went to Stone Cold Steve Austin's house. Okay. Put it side by side to Dr. D's when they Dr. D's style interview. I think they told the camera crew to go away in about the same manner.
1: We'll definitely get that on there. Get Bosley to look into it for us. Have him put it on our Facebook,
2: facebook.com forward slash the Tag Team Podcast.
1: He's going to be a busy guy for someone that gets paid as much as he does. He's basically deserves to earn his pay.
2: You know, nobody can't say that Bosley doesn't have passion.
1: He is a man that is very passionate about his job. From after that interview, they go in and they say up tito santana but first tito must discuss what he just saw at dr d's house tito is not like that letting him know that i'm not like that guy and it appalls me to see that
2: yes he definitely wipes his feet and i believe our co-host lord alfred takes a couple shots that at david schultz talks funny
1: yep lord alfred does he says he talks in a funny accent and vince comments that he thinks it's funny that he thinks he talks in a funny accent because Lord Alfred also has a little bit of an accent, much like Lord Bosley. Just just a little bit. I think there might be neighbors. I'll have to ask Bosley on that next time. Definitely
2: do. But back to the Tito Santanas. I believe it was his Make-A-Wish Foundation?
1: Yeah, something of the nature. They calling it the Lunch with Your Favorite Wrestler. It's an ongoing contest. So if uh, you guys would like to enter this contest, I'm sure it's still going on. Because I don't think I ever saw another episode with it in there, but... Who knows, maybe they'll surprise us, episode 47. Maybe they'll go back to the lunch with your favorite wrestler. And uh, Vince says they got some great videotape of this. If you'd like to kind of describe for the listeners the great videotape that they show on this episode of Tuesday Night Titans.
2: It was video like I've never seen.
1: that's one way to describe
2: it it reminded me of a powerpoint presentation that's going
1: out to eat I believe they were at the Hilton Hotel if I'm not mistaken which when surveyed 9 out of 10 kids prefer eating at the Hilton instead of any kind of fancy fast food restaurant or any place where they can get pizza kids love to eat at Hilton's everyone knows that definitely they had him holding his championship title or did he win it maybe that
2: match just wasn't shown maybe so I know his friends was jealous though when he popped by in that limo to go pick him up from school i think touching back on your point the hilton i think all his friends were at the hilton waiting on him with with the parents uh, versus the, the pizza joint definitely
1: crazy they just had still shots of here's tito here's tito picking up the kid here's the limo ride here's a picture of the hilton and him eating with an executive producer tito santana and a kid and the kid's name as vince likes to point out with our other count for the night is chris beavers and vince makes sure that he says chris beavers every time he talks about the kid that count was second to the concurred count. It was came in with four, but giving the amount of impact and such amount of time that they talked about this little segment, I would say Chris Beavers probably could have took on the concur count if it had a time limit.
2: I concur with that statement. I think that Vince was under contract to make sure that Chris Beavers was mentioned.
1: Fortunately, couldn't find any information Bosley couldn't on Chris Beavers, so Chris Beavers, if you're out there, contact us. We'd love to hear about your lunch with Tito Santana that happened 33 years ago. That'd be a good time
2: Yes, please contact
1: us. The next thing they like to show is a match with Tito since they were just talking to him. So they showed Tito versus Adrian Adonis. Adrian Adonis is more known for his flamboyancy character that he did a little bit later than this. So this was the first time I've actually seen him where his hair wasn't blonde and he wasn't wearing makeup, dancing around purple tights or anything like that. So this was kind of a shocker for me. This was also the match that we were talking about that had a time limit, so though, but the title was on Line, but the time expired, so neither party actually won. It went to a draw, or as they like to call in business, went to Broadway, where uh, neither opponent actually wins and it ends a time expiring. Definitely something you don't see that often. Usually, they don't do time limit matches nowadays unless they're advertising in advance that it's going to be for 60 minutes in an Iron Man match or an Iron Woman match.
2: At the end of the match, that
1: Mr. Santana introduced Mr. Adonis to the bail. Yes, he did. His Feldman. Face and face meant bell, but that was pretty hardcore for back then. They didn't use too many worn objects and matches like they do nowadays as often.
2: But they did manage to instant replay him slamming his head into the bell. Ah, oh, was very entertaining.
1: It was pretty entertaining. You had Mean Gene again and Vince on commentary. I don't know if that was the A House team show or if this just all happened on a one road trip or whatever. But on one match, it looked like they had a fancy made-for-TV USA Fourth of July table set up with the fancy see the USA banner, red, white, and blue thing that you usually saw back in the 80s a lot when they were advertising voting, voting booth or something of that nature, some kind of patriotic sign-up thing. And then another match later on, they showed the table and it had an actual WWF logo on it, so it looked a little bit more professional. So I'm not really sure how they decided what made it to air and what didn't. I guess they probably just watched the match and decided if it was worthy of putting on TV or not and didn't really think about it ahead of time or else I would think they try to be consistent with what the tables look like and stuff like that. I think the voting table that you seen was the entries for the lunch with your favorite wrestler. Possibly might have been that might have been where they were signing up kids or adults to have lunch with their favorite wrestler and they might still be down there today signing up people. I don't I don't know, I'm not sure. I smell a filter. There you go. So the next segment they did, and very comical, was a mailbag. Keep in mind, this was the first show that ever showed for Tuesday Night Titans, and somehow they had viewer mail for Tuesday Night Titans. That would kind of be like us having mail for this podcast, so if you'd like to go ahead and check the mail out there, Jeff, see if we got anything going.
2: Definitely. Let me see what we got here. Bosley! Nope, got nothing.
1: Okay, I guess they are definitely a more popular first time airing show than we are then. First question they read was for Vince and wanted to know if he was a wrestler and he uh, chuckled and said not big enough, not bad enough. That gave it chance for Vince to talk about him wanting to be a wrestler in a way, but just saying that he just did it a little bit in college but wasn't big enough or bad enough for the professionals. Kind of helped feed his ego a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But whatever. Second question, Lord Alfred Hayes tries to read and then they think it's too risque to read so they never finish it. The third one had Tuesday Night Titans. They asked about the Road Warriors. Uh, not mentioning them by name, but saying other wrestlers that wear paint are on other Promotions? Do you think you will ever have wrestlers in your promotion that wear paint? And Vince said maybe. And they also wanted to know if it was legal for people to wear paint when they wrestled. It didn't sound like they knew too much about wrestling.
2: Or it could be one of the famously painted wrestlers
1: dropping some hints at Vince McMahon since he was buying up the competition anyway could possibly be i, I want to say i'm not 100 on this i want to say demolition was vince's answer to the road warriors so i'm not sure that road warriors actually came in before vince just went with demolition he might have offered him some money or something they just might have turned him down but it seems like to me the first ones that came in wearing paint were the demolition and that was kind of vince's answer to the road warriors and after this they go to an archive match and while all these have been taped before this was a super super old one Uh, You could tell by the film quality, it was probably from the 70s or possibly late 60s. It was Joe Turcoteau versus Arnold, do you want to try to pronounce that last name?
2: i do not (laughs) okay
1: it was first arnold somebody it was basically the manager from bob Backlund's days when he was wrestling Uh, we'll go with scollin it's s-k-a-a and then l-a-n-d so we'll go with scollin In this match arnold scollin wins they kind of make fun of the wrestlers a little bit i guess it's their version of doing what we're doing here except they're doing it on stuff that was earlier and they had people smoking at one point vince comics with a joke saying that uh that smoke wasn't coming from the wrestler's butt, but it was from a cigarette from someone smoking in the audience. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes thought this was hysterical and they go on from there just talking a little bit about the wrestlers and what they thought of them back then. Before this finished out and went to commercial they kind of noticed that there was a a stench in the studio. Weren't quite sure what that was, but there was a smell coming.
2: And we were rest assured it was not the same smoke that was in that match they had just seen.
1: The studio myself, I don't know if you know it didn't look that big so if somebody was setting up i don't know say with a cooking show exactly maybe 12 feet to my left i think i would notice it but i guess it's all fun and games yes yes i think they were wanting to know if you knew what the rock was cooking back before the rock was cooking it was some of his relatives the wild Smoans were up next they show a match with them and captain lou title match taking on the great Tony Atlas and The Rock's dad with the tag team titles. Commentary was Vince McMahon, and I didn't really catch the other person. Couldn't make out their voice, so I'm not really sure if it was maybe Bruno San Martino. Not sure if he was with the company at this point still or not, but it didn't sound like Mean Gene, nor did it sound like Gorilla Monsoon or any of the other ones from clips that they played, so I'm not really sure it was on commentary. The match ends when Captain Lou, no disqualification match, comes in with a wooden chair. Before they had steel chairs and smashes it over the Wild Samoans' head, and Rocky and Tony Atlas take advantage of that and get the one, two, three, and they're your new tag team chance.
2: And I believe after that, they got back to the studio with Captain Lou, and he was quoted to say that uh, basically it was not his fault that he smashed a chair over one of the Wild Samoans' heads, that they should have been tough enough to work through it, and that's why they're not tag team champions.
1: Ah, but you forgot that when they first came back, he was with the the Samoans and he wouldn't say nothing he wasn't saying nothing he just kind of uh duh, duh. and then after the Samoans left Captain right. Lou goes oh all heel and he's like it's their fault they should have been able to work through it not my fault so they go to commercial after that and they do a Captain Lou montage of all the tag teams he's managed some of these I remember some of these I've heard of like the Moondogs I've heard of them I've never actually seen a match of them the assassins I've heard of never actually seen any matches of them so it was a montage of all the teams that he managed to show how many teams he's managed to success and stuff like that comes back to captain lou being a little boasting about his accomplishments name dropping cindy lopper which he was just in her video at the time on mtv so that was kind of a big deal for the promotion after that they go to commercial and come back to the cooking segment with the wild samoans they have a uh, yeah the, the great cooking segment they have fish heads tails basically to me i don't I don't think you felt this way but to me it looked like the fish was alive i could have swore i saw it actually breathing before they cut into it i didn't
2: see the fish uh, breathing i thought his thumb was making the gill actually flex out in the end i didn't see too much of the uh, of the movement of the fish my attention mainly was on lord alfred doing button index finger and thumb over the nose very dramatically and vince mcmahon conning him into sampling some of the awesome boiled fish head and lobster
1: yeah while they were doing that they also had the wild samoans as they're cutting into this fish they actually were eating into some of the guts and stuff like that after they took them out basically their the point they're trying to drive home is the Samoans cook with parts that most people never eat like the head and the tail and they just put that in the stew and get rid of everything else so that was what they're trying to drive home besides the odor and things like that they then go to a talk show aired originally on public access station in lee valley pennsylvania it too is up there on youtube it runs about 52 minutes clip they show on their show it picks up at about the 33 minute mark it was an interesting show I mean it was sort of like daytime television pretty much you have your host that takes questions from the audience and they let the panel talk and stuff like that. She turns it over to Vince pretty soon, so she's not doing too much talking or interviewing whatsoever. She lets Vince do all of her dirty work. Basically, the heel characters stay in heel for most of it. A couple of times, they break character and will answer the questions as far as a real answer would go and not what a heel wrestler would say for their answer. That was kind of interesting. Like I said, it runs about 52 minutes. It is out there on YouTube. We'll get a wisely to throw that one up there for you guys too if anyone wants to watch it and see the, the full episode versus the clip that they showed. The show is called It's Your Turn, Lee Valley. It's just a show that ran a lot during Pennsylvania's public access station and this so happened to be everyone focusing on professional wrestling. So it was interesting to watch just to see the contrast and how the wrestlers acted throughout the whole show. I think Jerry Springer seen that. I, thought, I can work with it. It's possible that this could have inspired Springer to get started. Daytime television I firmly believe that I concur The next thing that they had out there Was just real random fast matches They did Andre the Giant Versus three no-name guys And they had Vince Mann And Gorilla Monsoon on commentary I think they just basically wanted to show The wrestlers off to people That might have been tuning into the show For the first time To see what wrestlers were in WWF And just kind of throw their names out there So that people are more familiar with them I was actually able to find this match on YouTube It's part of the old video. VHS Coliseums. So if you really want to see this match from start to end, you can put it out there on YouTube. Andre the Giant Home Coliseum video that they came out. This match was on there and it's from start finish. After that, they did Hulk Hogan versus Mass Superstar. Showed a quick clip of him and that was had Vince McMahon and Mean Gene on commentary. Then they jumped to the t- now the past Superfly, Jimmy Snuka versus Greg Valentine. And they did a clip on him with Gorilla Monsoon and Mean Gene on commentary this time and then last they showed a aforementioned Iron Sheik first two jobbers that they never gave any names for that I caught and it was Vince McMahon and Mean Gene on commentary for that and then after that they go on their two week hiatus and this show is about two hours long I imagine with commercials and it seems like the other shows are a lot shorter the deal where we'll show a two hours we'll go from there off of regular episodes of an hour or whatnot. but I found that a little bit interesting too that the time frame changed as the episodes progressed I concur so one thing
2: I would have liked to see is the actual commercials from back in the day that they would have going in
1: between even the YouTube it was taken from the WWE 24 7 days on demand before they came out with the network and only certain cable companies covered the on-demand so while the quality still top-notch you will not see any commercials or anything like that it's basically the same same thing you get on the network I didn't notice any difference between any of the segments or anything like that yeah it's somebody with a sight ripper, dragging it down. I'm curious as to why they put that one and not all of them, but I can see you tempting fate the more stuff you put out there. It wouldn't surprise me if it gets taken down after our podcast is out there. I'm not saying that we're going to promote the heck out of it that everybody's watching it, but as it gets more views than it's been getting probably the last couple of years, I think it was put out there in 2014. It will might draw some flags and attention.
2: Sorry, right, guys, facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast. We got you covered. <laughs>
1: Alright, so that was the first episode of tuesday night titans uh, let's play a game jeff yes let's see how well you know your wrestlers oh, of 1984 if you know if they're alive today or
0: not all right let's do it you're in for a blinding treat it's time to play
1: so, in full disclosure, I helped Bosley research these, so I will not be playing because I already know the answers, but I'll let you know what I thought. So, our first wrestler that we're going over is the first one from this episode that we were introduced to Brian Blair. Do you think Mr. Brian Blair is still kicking? Uh, no, I'm going to say he's passed
0: away. <laughs>
1: I knew this one because I got a recently got a book from him, even though the book was from 96, and it teaches you how to speak carny or to learn some of the carny lingo that they used to use back in the day. So I was 100% certain that Brian Blair was alive.
0: Let's begin. Wrestler Brian Blair. Brian Leslie Blair is alive. He is 59 and currently a politician in Gary, Indiana. Brian has a wife and two kids. So for all you out there that thought Brian
1: Blair was dead, he is probably your local politician if you live in Gary, Indiana. Hmm. Couldn't really find out what he was politically involved in, but he's doing some stuff. And a recently, side note, under Undercover Boss actually had an episode with the mayor of Gary, Indiana. So I can for certain say that Brian Blair is not the mayor of Indiana because this was an African-American female. Next wrestler going in order of appearance for this episode is Paul Orndorff. Is Paul Orndorff still alive?
0: Yes, Mr. Wonderful. Wrestler Paul Orndorff. Paul Pollitt Orndorff is alive. Mr. Wonderful is 67. After retiring, Orndorff worked as a professional wrestling trainer. In 2011, Orndorff was diagnosed with cancer, but went through treatment and was declared cancer-free by the end of 2011, Paul has a wife, two kids, and eight grandchildren
1: He was almost dead, but yes, you were right He is now alive and still kicking I remember him being in the Hall of Fame Yeah, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame Next in order of appearance is charismatic The star of episode one, not the Olympic wrestler Dr. D, David Schultz Do you think David Schultz is alive or dead? Well, Mr. Schultz,
2: people never die, so I'll, I'll say he's alive.
1: Well, on this one, I would have thought he was dead, but I was wrong, as I learned from Bosley,
0: and let's Bosley tell you why. Wrestler Dr. D. David Schultz. David Schultz is alive, though his wrestling career died long ago, ha ha. David Schultz is 61. Schultz continued wrestling for a time after the 2020 incident returning to Memphis and competing internationally in Japan and Canada, but his continued career was short-lived and he retired from professional wrestling soon after. Dr. D moved to Connecticut, where he opened a successful bail bonds business and began a second career as a professional bounty hunter, pursuing criminals as far as Egypt and Puerto Rico. He has arrested around 1,700 fugitives and worked with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and various police departments for over 15 years. Schultz is married with no kids. Dr. D.
1: Bounty Hunter, I would watch that. I knew that fits him to the T.
0: I figured he would be
2: chasing somebody.
1: So, in his interview, who was the kids that he... Probably some producer's kids. Could be that actual woman's kids, as I learned that he did not get married until later on in his career. So, I'm pretty sure the wedding ring she was wearing and he was not wearing was probably to someone else. Ah, I thought it was really his house. I doubt it, but who knows. Next up, Adrian Adonis, another AWA alumni guy. Do you think Adrian Adonis is alive or dead?
2: Mr. Adonis. I believe he has passed away. Let's see.
0: Wrestler, Adrian Adonis. Keith A. Frank, better known as Adrian Adonis, is dead. Passing away on July 4, 1988, in Canada at the age of 33. On July 4, 1988, in Lewisporty, Newfoundland, Adonis was in a minivan with three other fellow wrestlers. One of the wrestlers allegedly swerved to avoid hitting a moose. Blinded by the setting sun, their van fell from a bridge into a creek below. Adonis suffered severe head injuries and died a few hours later. The wrestler driving was the sole survivor and sustained severe leg injuries. At the time of his death, he left behind a wife and two young daughters in Bakersfield, California.
1: Yes, that is probably the most traumatic death that we'll have on this one. Typical Canadian fashion, he died to avoid hitting a moose. Hmm. Fell off the
2: bridge onto a creek.
1: Yeah, on July 4th, but seeing how up in Canada, it wasn't a holiday there. True. Very sure. Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to go, but yes, he is dead, and I kind of thought he was dead too before I did my research on this. I just really hadn't heard anything about him recently. I didn't know when he died or how he died, but he is no longer with us as of 88, so he don't go on to live about four more years after this episode. Kind of sad. Yep. So next on the list, Tito Santana. Do you think Tito Santana is alive or
0: dead? I believe he is still alive. Bosley? Wrestler Tito Santana. Merselis, better known by the ring name Tito Santana, is alive. El Matador is 63 and currently a Spanish teacher and basketball coach at Eisenhower Middle School in Roxbury Township, New Jersey. He also teaches wrestling classes at the New Jersey-based Independent Wrestling Federation. Tito has a wife and three kids.
1: Well, Manador is still kicking. You're correct, sir. Anybody that does
2: lunch with your favorite wrestler and takes the kid to the Hilton, you know, he's, he's, he's going to make it.
1: No word if he is still everyone's favorite wrestler and still is obligated to do all those lunches. Next up, the aforementioned... Arnold Scaland. Oh, I'm uh, sure he's. There. Yeah, it's kind of a giveaway when you're watching a match from probably 69, 70s. Uh, he's probably no longer with us. Let's go with the inevitable and Bosley. When did this guy pass?
0: Wrestler Arnold Scaland. Arnold Scaland is dead. Died on March 13, 2007, at the age of 82. He was married and had three sons.
1: Oh, so he made it to uh, 2003. He's last for a good time for a uh, man of his generation. Oh yeah, most definitely. Cause it's, uh,
2: it was a lot worse back then than it is now,
1: as far as the wrestling and.
2: Hell that they put each other
1: through off the camera. Yeah, just trying to make it out to the ring. Fans will put you through hell too if they didn't like you. I think he was mostly a face, but I'm not 100% on that. Next up is the greatest manager of all time, if you don't believe him, just ask him. Captain Lou Albano. Is Captain Lou still with
0: us? I would say he is probably dead. Bosley. Captain Lou Albano. Louis Vincent, better known as Captain Lou is dead. Passing away October 14, 2009, at the age of 76. His death was caused by a massive heart attack while residing in hospice care for the past few months. Albano was survived by his wife, four children, and 14 grandchildren. Captain Mu
1: Albano has passed. Hmm. So far, you're doing pretty good, man. You only missed Ryan Blair. Pretty proud of myself. Yeah, not bad at all for a first-time viewer of Tuesday Night Titans. Next up, we're just going with two guys, so they're either both going to be dead or both be alive. The Wild Samoans. Are they dead or are they alive? The Wild Samoans.
2: Samoans are pretty tough. Obviously some that of the toughest people that you'll ever meet. Either they're both going to be dead or both going to be alive. Let's just say they're alive,
0: barely. Okay, I'll go with that. Bosley? Tag team the Wild Samoans. Wrestlers are fan-seeker. Both Wild Samoans are alive. Arthur Afanoi is 74. After leaving the WWF, he began training wrestlers at his Wild Samoan training facility, along with Seeker. Leetie Seeker-Anoi is 71, has three daughters and two sons, Matt and Leetie Joseph. Matt is a professional wrestler who briefly wrestled in WWE under the name Rosie. Leete Joseph, known as Joe, played college football for Georgia Tech from 2003 to 2006. He began a wrestling career in 2010, working for WWE under the ring name Roman Reigns.
1: A little modern history there mixed in with past history. Yeah. Samoan offspring, Reigns. And maybe soon after, the Samoans will have death threats. Mate. Some
0: people don't like Roman Reigns. So overall, you only missed one, man. Good job. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for playing, all chaps. And tune in next time for another round of...
1: Was our game of dead and alive hopefully you guys scored as well or maybe you even trumped jeff and got them all right not likely that's going to be hard to do. It's true. With that being said, that was our first episode, the inaugural episode of the tag team podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If not, so uh, rate us high anyway. We appreciate that. will not tell anyone that you didn't like it. Tell your friends, tell your friends, friends, tell your family's friends, tell your friends of your family, download on many devices. They have no way of knowing if you're the same person. As long as that IP address is different, it counts as a different device. And that helps with our rankings. Next week, we're going to go over uh, Rowdy Piper. In episode two, he's going to clash with Ivan Putzky. Mr. Fuji is going to give us a lesson in traditional Japanese customs. Plus, Big John Stud's going to be on there, and many more wrestlers. Jeff's already done a little bit of a sneak preview, where I have yet to watch episode two. Uh, and first impressions of what you've seen so far, what you think of episode two? I have to
2: say, I was a little creeped out. A little comic relief there. Mr. Fuji kind of took on a little ride. that I didn't really know what to say. Let's just say thank God for Paul Orndorff. His GM is He's a very motivated person in the gym.
1: I would love to work out with him someday. Could be because of the wellness policy, but we're not sure. (laughs) Well, thanks everyone for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you'll tune in next week when we cover episode two of WWF Tuesday Night Titans.
0: Follow us on social media. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast. On Twitter, at tag team. On Google Plus, tag team podcast. Or email us at the tag at gmail.com. Or on the tag line, leave us a voicemail. 6016544 tag that's 6016544824. Thank you for listening to the tag team podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. I'm still looking for a man. I don't care how big you are, how tall you are, how small you are, how weak you are, I don't care what kind of language you speak, I don't care where you come from, I don't care what color your skin is.